You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. And turn in your copy of God's Word to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. It's near the end of your New Testament, right after uh, the book of Hebrews and before you get to the, uh, the books of Peter. There it's a small little uh, book likely written by uh, one of Jesus' uh, brothers named James here. And how would you love to have a sibling in Jesus, right? You think of all the sibling rivalries and all the things that you had in your childhood and upbringing and just think about having an older brother who was actually perfect yeah maybe maybe did joseph and mary show some partiality and love uh him i don't hopefully not Hopefully not. But anyways, we come to this uh, uh, James 5, this section of scripture, another one, another. In this series we've been doing, come and belong as we uh, look at these characteristics that are define us as God's people and, uh, uh, and us collectively as God's church and what uh, we invite others into as we live distinct in this world uh, according to uh, God's commands. And so far, the one another's that we've seen are those, uh, those characteristics that I think we can really get behind. Those that we really uh, uh, love. I mean, uh, who doesn't like to, uh, to have, uh, you know, to receive love from somebody else? You know, love one another, welcoming one another, supporting or bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another and instructing others. We, we love to receive those. And even those as we seek to give them, those are the fun ones in order to, or that we express to others. But the reality is, Sin has corrupted even how we live those out and has corrupted and, and influenced and broken many of the relationships that uh, exist here in the church. We, uh, while we're all being built up or should be being built up by love and encouragement, sometimes we also get hurt uh, by God's people. Sometimes our sin hurts others as we live in this community. And thankfully, God in his kindness, God in his wisdom, uh, gave us additional uh, one another's to help lead us forward when uh, our sin causes us to hurt others or we in turn are hurt by them. And so the next several weeks, really, the one another's uh, hone in on that. And today is one of those as well as we look at this command to confess our sin to one another. And even as I say the word confession causes us to, uh, to uh, be uneasy in our seats, doesn't it? We get nervous and we start looking for the exits, right? It's one over my left shoulder, a couple in behind you. We look at our watch and we start to notice, the, well, the hour's late. You know, I have, I have something else to get to. Our heart uh, races, our Mind starts replaying the last few days for their, those moments that we hope nobody else heard or saw what we were doing there. And why is that? Why, why is confession such a terrifying thought? And maybe it's because we uh, want to maintain the image that we have it all together. 
Maybe, maybe we fear losing uh, our prestige with another person or uh, we fear losing their respect or maybe their friendship or maybe even our job. Maybe it's a terrifying thought because we've tried this and been wounded by another person. Maybe it's just because we really don't know what confession is and what it's even to, uh, to look like. Whatever the reason is, we find it here in our Bible this morning. I'm going to read it in just a second so you can see it. And it's here as a command for us to joyfully obey. And so I think in order to uh, overcome the terror that comes with this word, even the silence in the room this morning, you're like, man, this is a heavy topic. It's cold outside. I don't know. We have to get to the bottom of it, don't we? Seek to understand it and what this means and to understand it more fully so that we can obey it more joyfully. And so let's come to the word of God. Let's let it do its work in us. And I'm going to back up. I'm going to read James 5, 13 to 16 so we can get a little of the context and see where this gem, where this uh, uh, command is set uh, in the midst of. Join me here in your Bibles, James 5, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of God. It says this, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, note this, here's our verse, the one another. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, this is God's word for God's people. And write this down in your notes for it is the, uh, the premise of this uh, text and this one another here. It's this, that confession is the thermometer of our uncommon community. Write that in your notes. You can write it in the margins of your Bible somewhere where you can remember uh, this uh, bottom line. The, the conf- uh, confession is the thermometer or the temperature gauge of the uncommon community, this church of the gathering of God's people, the uncommon community. It's the thermometer of our unceasing prayer with God. It's the thermometer of our humility and our teachability and our vulnerability with one another as God's people. And the degree to which this confession is hot or cold amongst us indicates how dependent we are on God and interdependent we are with one another. See, uncommon community is built on vulnerability, not on varnished lives. It's built on humility, not the hypocrisy that defines so many. And so the command here in verse 16, the one another that we're being invited into is this act of confession to one another. But what is it? What comes to your mind when you hear this word of confession? What scenes or what ideas come to your mind? Many of you maybe think of like the Roman Catholic confessional booths, right? Some of you maybe have done that or you've seen it portrayed in movies or you've heard uh, uh, about these, uh, these booths that you can come in and just air all your dirty laundry and be done with it. 
Or maybe still others, you're envisioning this scene of like somebody sobbing on the floor and confessing the, the most wildest of sin that you, uh, could, that you never expected in their life. And yet, confession doesn't necessarily have to be so formal or, 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 or so emotional. The idea of confession here, the word just literally means to say the same thing about something. To call something as it is, not to obscure it, but to, uh, to, but to bring it out into the open. To just say the same thing about whatever it is. To call it, in this case, what God calls it. And in, in terms of, of what uh, the, the scripture is here talking, is to call sin, sin. And the idea of confessing to one another is really the act of self-disclosure. If we're going to have an, uh, just a real simplified version, you can write that down. Confessing to one another uh, equals self-disclosure. It is me opening up. Here are the areas in which I am being tempted or the sins that I have committed or the things that have dishonored the Lord uh, and or other people. And so it's not being caught in sin like we saw back in Galatians 6. This is me being open and vulnerable and intimate with the people around us. So you've maybe heard me say this. I've heard from other pastors. It's in our uh, Uncommon Leadership uh, 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 books and, and things as well as what we use to train uh, our small group leaders. But it's this idea that self-disclosure is the currency of intimacy. Self-disclosure is the currency of intimacy. So the more that we are doing this as we are uh, uh, revealing the areas in which we are weak or hurting or struggling here, it, this is, the, into, this is the, the exchange between two people or within a, a group of people within a community that we are sharing and being honest with one another. And the degree to which we confess or self-disclose builds then a relationally wealthy community question is how do we do that how do we do this in such a way where confession becomes the norm where we don't fear it where a confession isn't a terrifying thought where we can really confess without fear well verse 16 is the command but it's attached to the context indicated by the therefore that therefore is like the trailer hitch that's connecting us to the truck in front of it and so the context shows us how we make this type of self-disclosure or confession normal and we can do it without fear and so if you're taking notes write this down here in order to uh, to be a community where we can confess without fear here's the first thing we must be a praying people did you note that as I read those, the verses? And in the midst, we have this, uh, this command to confess to one another, but what uh, dominates the verses all around it? This idea of prayer, right? It's, in, it's as if it's saying that in every context in your life, it's an opportunity to pray. Hard times, what should you do? Pray. Good times, what should you do? Pray. Sing praises if you're, when you're sick. Pray, and there's power in this prayer. And see, what we believe about prayer, simply that, that we're calling on God to uh, come through on his promises. Prayer is just simply that. As we, every time we pray, we're asking God to be who he says he uh, will be and to do what he has promised to do, to act according to his good, sovereign, wise, generous, grace-filled, merciful, holy character. 
We're asking God. We're calling on him. And so as we believe this prayer, then this is what informs what we do then as we confess. And why we, can, uh, why we can be safe to do so in a community here. Now, now note this about the, the, the context here. James, who we already talked about, he's writing to these Jewish believers that have been scattered for being Christians. James is an early church leader uh, uh, there in Jerusalem, and he is writing this letter, likely one of the earliest ever written in our New Testament canon, and he's writing to these uh, uh, former Jews that have now come to Christ that have been scattered because they believe that Christ is the Savior. And he opens the letter. You're probably familiar with this. He opens the letter in chapter 1, right in verse 2. He's like, hey, what's up? I'm writing to you. Now count it all joy, my brothers. When the times are really awesome, count it all joy, my brothers. This is what he says, James 1, verse 2. You can turn over there if you want to see it. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He opens the letter acknowledging their persecution, telling them to rejoice in it, for it is making them stronger. It's, uh, it's, it's producing this, uh, growing this uh, steadfastness in them that they will continue on. And then he says a whole bunch of other things. And then in chapter 5, or in the end of his letter to these people, he returns back to this theme. In the verses before, uh, the verses that I read, he tells them to think about Job, who suffered, who had to persevere. And so when we get to verse 13, then, he's returning here to this idea. Is anyone among you suffering? Guess what they would answer, those that were reading this letter? Yep, I am. Then let him And the suffering in mind here is the suffering that is specific to the persecution for being Christians. What's what's in mind here is not the uh, word or the idea for one in physical suffering due to like uh, sickness or injury or financial distress. It's, It's not referring even to the emotional suffering that we like may go through through grief or loss in that way. Though certainly we should pray in those circumstances as well. But he's specifically referring to the suffering that comes as a result of living openly as a Christian. And when that comes in conflict with the world around you. So if you lose your job or you are overlooked for a promotion or you are ridiculed at work because of your Christian beliefs about, say, something like gender and sexuality, or you hold to a biblical ethic in that that is different than what is, uh, uh, what is uh, you know, politically correct or socially normal today, what should you do in those situations? Let him Pray. Maybe this holiday season, if your family is spewing hate and doesn't invite you over or, uh, or, or, or treats you with disdain because of your Christian beliefs, say maybe about uh, the unborn and how we care for women and babies in the womb and, and all that, and they persecute you and you're suffering because of this, let him or her pray. And see, why do we do this? Because we depend upon God in those moments to defend us. We come to the Lord as our first resort, acknowledging that only He can change those situations. 
where we're praying for strength to endure, for grace to speak as we ought, for wisdom to how to keep the relationship going or when to know, when to cut things off. It's in these moments that we become praying people, but not only in the moments of suffering. For What's this next thing? If, is anyone cheerful? Not only in suffering are we to be a praying people, but likewise when we're full of gladness, especially in those times of suffering. Let us come before the Lord and let us sing praise. See, uh, uh, singing really is, in, in one sense, a form of prayer. As we are singing to God about God, declaring the truths as we have done uh, in several songs this morning about who God is and how we then w- will live in light of that. And as we sing and lift our voices and we're evoking a response to God in his holiness. Not that singing and praying is just about the feeling that we get in that. But how can we not, as we sing about the holiness of God and the strength of God, not ourselves be moved to the greater obedience and passion and worship and expressing that to him? But here's the thing, no matter what, no matter what's happening in our life, whether it's hard or whether it's good, we pray. This is what praying without ceasing is all about. It's not just referring to this like constant stream of prayer per se that happens in our life, but it's, but, but it's, but it's praying in every moment. As we live life together, uh, we are taking every opportunity to bring our lives, to bring our circumstances before the Lord. And see, here's the thing, church. It's in the context of this type of dependence on God and interdependence with one another. It's that type of community where it's safe to confess our sin because we know that we're going to be prayed for, that we're going to be brought back to the things of God and His glorious gospel, and thus we can receive the healing, whether that's physical or spiritual or whatever it might need, that we need to continue to move forward. And so it's in the context of, of prayer. Like, Look at verse 16 and, and, and note how this works. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. If, if we're going to build a community like this, we have to be a praying people, praying for one another rightly. And so look at the graphic, how this works. So you're on the, uh, uh, the screen. See, this, this is how verse 16 works. I, uh, it's, it's me here. I'm confessing my sin to you. I'm saying it like it is. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what's hard. Here's where I need your help. And then look at what you do then. Go and tell everybody else, right? No. Pray for them. And then what does God do? heals them. I tell you, you tell the Lord, the Lord, his job is to do his work of healing or restoring or whatever it is in my life. And it's within this triangle that this works. It's within this triangle here that we can uh, uh, be free to confess our sin. And it's, you know, it's within the interplay of this uh, triangle. It's in this uh, uncommon community here that we're safe to admit that, hey, I mess up that I'm imperfect, that things tempt us, that we struggle to be steadfast in the midst of suffering, where it's, where it's okay to do and say, or where, we can, where we can say the things that we're not proud of in those moments, where, it's, where we can just confess, that, you know what, we have skeletons in the closet. But it's when we have a healthy understanding of whose job is what. It's my job to tell you, your job to pray for me, and God's job to bring the healing that we need. 
As we get that right here, then we can, we can acknowledge that, you know what, what's within this, where we can confess without fear, where we are safe to do so. You believe that? You believe it? Look, look at your neighbor and just tell them, you are safe here. You are safe within this. Write that down in your notes. Write it down like, I am safe here in this uncommon community. And now I get that. I, I even hesitate to use that because I realize, oh, safe places are like the, the, you know, the jargon of our day that is so popular here. And so I almost uh, hesitate to use that. And yet we can't let the darkness of our day shadow over the, 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 the truth of what we're to do in the light. Because we are safe. And I know what maybe you're thinking to yourself right now. You're like, yeah, right, Blair. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what, uh, what, what, what I regret. And if I put this out, out there, yeah. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, you don't know how I've been hurt. I ain't doing that. I've tried that once. I've been hurt, and it didn't go well. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, right. I'm not going to look like a sissy in front of these people. Whatever it is. Whatever that voice is that's causing you to doubt the safety of the uncommon community here where we are free to confess our sin, to be prayed for, and receive the healing that God so generously wants to give in those moments. Whatever it is that's holding that, don't believe it for a second. See, we are safe within every circumstance, whether suffering or, or cheerfulness within this uncommon community to ask for prayer and specifically to confess our sin. You're being harmed for your faith, let's pray. Are you full of joy, let's sing. Are you lacking strength, then let's call on the elders. Because see, that's where the text takes us here. If we're, if we're going to create a community where we can confess without sin or, or, or confess our sin without fear, we must be a praying people. But here's the second thing as the text takes us. We must be shepherded by active, uh, active prayerful elders. Do you see it there in the text? You see it there in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. See, it's as if he's saying if you're, you know, if you're suffering, if you're joyful, or if you're sick or weak, literally it's, it's, there's a lot of debate over this, but it literally just means you're lacking strength. Sometimes it's used of those who are physically sick. And other times it's a word used throughout the New Testament where, where it's those who are spiritually sick. In one case, beat down by the disease and illness and things and the failing health of our bodies and in others, at times beat down uh, from our sin or beat down from the suffering, uh, which is likely what is in mind here, especially as we think of how it goes, because he says we will be saved in that. But I think some of the ambiguity in the word and the idea is okay for whether you're you know, physically sick or spiritually sick. In both cases, the action is the same call for help to call specifically here on the elders plural of the church so that they can pray and just note a few things here it's assuming that we're a part of a church with elders with the plurality of elders and second note that it's on the onus is on the sick person to uh, to call on them to come in these moments where you lack strength to come and pray and, and let me just say, this isn't a rebuke, but this is a plea to you. Because I've heard some of you say, like, well, and I've learned about something happening or other elders say, well, I didn't call you because I know how busy you are and I didn't want to bother you with this. Call me anyways. Text me that this is what we're here to do and delight to do. Yes, we are busy. Yes, there are people to care for. But these are the things that we must do. 
This is a call, not just like a phone call, but a call alongside so that they can come and pray. And now you've probably encountered this text before. If you've not, then you should know this, that there's much that is misconstrued about what's happening in here. Faith healers love to take a passage like this and, and, and make it something that, is, is, uh, that it is not. The anointing here is this anointing that is, is not the holy word for like the anointed one where we get the word for Messiah or Christ, uh, you know, where there's no like these special anointing oils that you see people like uh, selling on TV. Like this is pure olive oil from the Holy Land. Buy this and be healed. Like don't do that, okay? Save your money. Don't, don't do things like this. Could have medicinal purposes here as they were, you know, as a very primitive time. So they're doing it. But the point was, as they would come, the elders would come and it symbolized and it was a reminder for them that the elders were there to pray for them. As they would feel the, uh, the, the oil there, there's nothing magical. There's nothing, you know, uh, particularly holy about it. In the same way we say that like about um, uh, baptism or as we lay hands on and pray for an elder and things like that. There's nothing like uh, magic or anything about it. It is just a symbolic uh, thing here in the case that I've been prayed for. As they would remember it or smell maybe the aroma of it to remember that they are not in this alone. That hope is theirs. And so we pray in faith. Pray in dependence. Praying in faith. The prayer of faith is not like some, you know, a big word, special King James Version prayers, but prayers that are dependent on God to come through. And even as it talks about here, these prayers uh, that, of, of faith that it says they will save, he will be raised up, will be forgiven. It isn't implying here that every time you, uh, saving and healing is guaranteed. It doesn't imply that the elders have this like power to absolve you of your sin. But by together praying and by bringing the, the spiritual leaders in your life into it, you, we are putting ourselves into a place of saying, God, if you don't come through in this situation, then, 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 then we're through. You have to meet me in here. We don't know what else to do but to call on you. I need your forgiveness. I need your saving. I need your healing. Redemption, have you ever been there? In those moments where you're, you're, you're praying, you're God, like, God, help me get out of this temptation. Help me get out of this sin because it's just too much. Maybe you've prayed those prayers of God, this sickness, this diagnosis is too much. I don't know what it means for the future. I can't bear the pain anymore. I can't take another visit, another uh, 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 you know, prescription. Have you ever been there? What was it that got you out of it? Those, those moments for me is the help and the active shepherding of the elders around me who came and carried the burden with me in prayer, in care, in the context of the community of faith. And see, here's the point of these verses here. Regardless of what you believe about the oils and what you make of the anointing and the prayers of faith, the point is that in these verses that, 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 that there are active, powerful, prayerful elders in your life to call on when you are weak, when, you, uh, uh, when there's sin to confess, and when you need help moving forward. See, prayer is part of the job description for elders. The, those guys, the apostles in Acts 6, as they were laying the foundation and ministry needs were demanding, there were literally thousands of people that they were caring for. And they said, hey, we have to be devoted to two things, prayer 
and the ministry of the word. And so we have to equip others to continue to do these things so that they can be devoted. And thankfully, we have elders like this at Redemption who are so devoted to prayer, who are eager to pray for you when called upon. Who, who are diligent to pray. In each uh, uh, of our elder meetings, we pray through the members of our church. We each take three. We just work through them alphabetically, and we pray for you, your family, in our meetings. Even today, as we to install Michael here in just a moment, let me just laser in for a moment here. Michael, let your life, let your ministry, let your life, let your ministry be marked by prayer. Out of all the, 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 the soul care responsibilities that you have, your counsel, the most powerful instrument in your arsenal is prayer. And your ministry will not arise above your prayer life. We must be dependent on the Lord and partner with the people that God has entrusted to us, praying when nobody else sees it but the Lord dependent, fervent, passionate in our prayers. Of all your responsibilities, this will be most important. This one. To the rest of us, let me help clarify a few things uh, as well, because we've kind of touched on this and joked on it even in recent weeks as we've talked about instructing one another, encouraging one another, welcoming one another. We've joked about, like, we'll just call Michael in situations like this, right? that each of us have been equipped by the grace of God in this mutual ministry. And yet there is, as the text is indicating here, there is a time when, yes, you do call on the elders. You do call upon uh, those that are mature in your life. And so we have this graphic. Some of you have seen it. Some of you have helped it. This is kind of how we think of when we use soul care uh, in our church and as the Bible seeks to describe it. It just begins with, if you think of this like as, a, as like, uh, floors in, a, you know, in, a, in an office building, if you will. See, all of us have a part in this mutual ministry, what we do on Sunday mornings, what we do, you know, throughout the week and caring for one another. We have a responsibility in that. And then there's a greater commitment in, in, to the people in our small groups. Those who we self-disclose even more to, those that we uh, are, have uh, committed to caring for us in this way. There's the small group leaders that have a, a, a level of maturity and want to come alongside you. But there's also times in our life where we need to just off-ramp from those things or to bring the light of the gospel uh, in freedom group or we just need to grow in our understanding of doctrines where we need to be equipped in these things for a season to help us mature in the faith. But there are times even then when we have to have a meeting with the elders or multiple where this is where this comes in. Where I, I need, it's not here. I don't need to go through this class. This is some, but I need to meet with those that uh, uh, have been uh, entrusted with the responsibility and the care of our souls, a la Hebrews 13. And from that, there might be times to refer to some specific formal biblical counseling, whether that is with Michael or somebody else that he may refer to. And then there are those times when there is just a massive life-dominating sin where we're stuck where uh, something like a weekend intensive of, of counseling needs to happen with advocates in the uh, in, in the you know in the context of the community of God's people here. And all throughout this, the elders are uh, praying and shepherding uh, as you are getting the care uh, that you need that we all need to be moving forward in faith. 
as we do this humbly, teachably, vulnerably, we are able to move forward in faith. There are times to call on the elders. Hopefully this helps you. It's really when we're lacking the strength to move forward in faith or we don't know how to help this person, we bring them on as they're here to help shepherd us together towards maturity. And by God's grace, we're there leading this community where we can really confess without fear. But how else do we do? How else is we thinking of this as we want to confess our sin without fear? How do we create a community of it? Well, let's just look at how the passage here ends in verse 16. Here's the third point. We must behave like righteous people. Now, even that is a you know, it's self-righteous people. But just living out the, 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 the righteousness that has been declared over us. Notice how verse 16 ends. After the command, therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. That's the command. And then there's this profound statement at the end of it. And depending upon your translation, it might be worded a little bit differently, but the ESV renders it this way. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And it's kind of a clunky sentence, but here's the sense of it. Your prayers are powerful. They work particularly those of the righteous or the mature person who's walking out their faith. The righteous person, like I said, is not the self-righteous person, the holier-than-thou person, but it is the person saved by Christ, declared righteous at the throne of God. Despite our, our, our sin, God saving us as he sent his son Christ, who was uh, fully righteous, who behaved perfectly in every scenario, but died the death in our place that we too might be saved and seek to grow and live in this righteousness and and now we can act as we are praying these dependent prayers and caring for the people around us while we are all in progress see we behave differently because we have been saved we we look to the lord in prayer because we recognize that we're in progress and this is what is so important for us to note in this phrase and how all of this connects together that we are in progress do you believe that none of us have achieved perfection yet as much as we love to portray that in our life we're all still in progress if you believe like look at your neighbor tell them just remind them hey i'm in progress and tell them that write it down in your notes especially you who are married if you're sitting next to each other be reminded of this we can embrace this I was reminded of this in my own life, even this week, reminded of it daily as I spend time in God's word. I was in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 this week and nearing the end of, you know, it's nearing the end of the year. I read through the Bible chronologically each year. I'm in the New Testament. I was in 1 Corinthians 13 and you probably know that. I've read it so many times. I've talked about it in premarital counseling, read it in weddings, you know, love is patient, kind, all those things. We talked about it in our first week. Uh, in a small group and for whatever reason that morning holy spirit conviction on my life i'm reading it love is not irritable dang it yeah easily frustrated easily irritable with my kids with you is is, is, i get inconvenienced or whatever like my heart is just prone to that i needed like the lord had to bring me low yeah you're in progress in this one buddy I am. 
needed to confess it, needed to confess it to my kids, confessing it to you. Like, I can be prone to that. And so I, here, here I am confessing, you pray for me so God will heal me, please. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. When we acknowledge these two truths side by side, our prayers are powerful. They're used of God to bring about the healing that he wants in our life. And we are all people in progress. As we embrace these two things, they will help us confess our sin to one another without the terrifying thoughts and the looks and the glances for the exit here. And see, when we embrace these, these ideas, then, then that way when we are uh, hurt by a cold response as we are trying to or somebody doesn't pray for me or love me like I expected it, it doesn't bankrupt our faith. It doesn't cause us to give up on what God is doing here in the community of God's people. It, it, when we embrace these two things, it combats those, those, those wrong thoughts when we think like, well, I don't have to confess to others. I can just confess it to, to God, right? I don't, why do I have to tell others about it too? They weren't involved in it. They weren't a part of it. But see, part of God's wisdom to keep us humble and teachable and vulnerable, to keep us dependent on him, others, the group, the community around us, God's people in our lives are part of his strategy for helping us flee it, for helping us overcome it, for being a part of the healing that we need to experience in growing uh, in righteousness in our own life and growing together while I'm learning how to self-disclose and you're learning uh, how to pray and how to care and vice versa as we move forward together. Now, this command doesn't mean that we just air all our dirty laundry all the time. We need to just like tell, like, hey, my name is Blair. Let me tell you how I struggle. It doesn't mean that we have to, you know, just post it on social media all the time, you know, confession alert. No, but within our mutual ministry to one another, those committed to our growth and holiness here in this church, we're able to call our sin what it is and make this progress together as we all seek to behave like the righteous people that God has declared us to be. So we grow in prayer. So we're shepherded by the elders that God has put in our life as we are growing in holiness. I'm praying, you're praying, we are praying and hoping together that God would make us a relationally wealthy community of God's people where the thermometer uh, is reading warm day after day indicating our dependence on God and our interdependence on one another where co confessing our sin is just normal, where it's a part of what we do as God uh, convicts us early on as we flee from and grow in Christ. That's what I want. I hope and pray that's what you want too. Would you pray with me? I'm going to pray and ask God's help in this. And we're going to bring Michael forward and pray for him as well. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are as your uh, people. Yes, confessing our sin to you, maybe even in this moment now, God, you have brought conviction to uh, someone uh, even now, and they need to just uh, get it out. They need to, uh, to, to unburden themselves as you invite us to do in all this. So we're just before you, making known our sin. And God, even in this moment, would you give us courage to follow you, courage to continue on, courage to self-disclose into the uh, community that uh, you have uh, called us to belong to. 
Lord, would you give us uh, boldness uh, uh, that we can walk before you know it already anyways, and we orchestrated, uh, God, strangely, yes, in many ways uh, seems full of risks, but you've done so for your glory that we might grow in holiness together. So help us in that. Lord, thank you for just the, the elders that lead this church, that shepherd this church. Help us to continue to grow in holiness, maturity. So we are men in progress as well. Thank you for the ways that this church encourages us and sharpens us and causes us to uh, grow in faith. But God, as always, we're just here before you, sitting under your word, believing its truthfulness, believing its authority over our lives. Here we are, wanting to joyfully respond and obey it. Help us to know how to do that in a way that is honoring to you, maturing to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.